I do want to take a moment just to um, meditate on what it is we're doing tonight. And I think periodically we have taken an entire service to think about the Lord's table, and I think that's healthy. Certainly we don't want to um, take this ordinance in vain, which is what Paul is writing sharply against the Corinthian church for doing and pronouncing some pretty severe consequences for their vanity. Um, at the same time, what an encouragement it is to be reminded of the climax of God's work in human history, which is the passion of Christ, his death and resurrection. Um, service was centered on the holiness of God. And I'd like to just start by turning to a passage that describes to us uh, with a beautiful picture, God's holiness. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. Many of you could probably quote this, that's okay. Isaiah chapter 6. If you were to ask anybody who has spent a good deal of time in Scripture to point you to a passage about God's holiness, this would probably be in their top five. I'd say most people, they'd probably start here. We'll just read five verses here uh, at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 6. I'd like you to uh, pay close attention to what we're learning about God. And in a moment, I'll ask you what stuck out to you. We'll have a conversation. We'll meditate together on God's holiness Isaiah 6.1 says, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, that's Isaiah, saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. We'll stop, we'll stop right there. Of course, if you read on Isaiah's encounter with God, you'll see much more about God's holiness. But I wonder if, if you'd care to share what sticks out to you from those few verses? Majesty that is a great word. It almost feels like Isaiah is, uh, maybe it's wrong to say this uh, with inspiration, but he's struggling to find the words that adequately describe what he's seeing. And uh, we see, well, I'll just ask you, what else do you see? I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to ask for you to think about it and us to meditate on this together. Of course, biblical meditation is just thinking deeply about Scripture. Got to be careful there. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Yeah. Sprinkled throughout Scripture, you'll find sections that just pause to magnify God's creative power and the fact that we can witness His glory in what He has made. Of course, the creation that we see is marred by sin, it's marred by the curse, but you still see God's hand in it. What else? We see some heavenly beings here, don't we? 
uh, we get a description of an angelic of angelic beings that stand before the throne, and their task is to sing praises unto God. Um, not too long ago, I had a conversation with someone who was struggling with um, God's chief end being to glorify Himself. And I understand that can be a difficult thing because if you think about God glorifying Himself, it seems kind of arrogant. But that's because you're thinking in human terms. There's only one being in the universe that it is not proud and not arrogant and not self-serving for Him to glorify Himself. That is the eternally existent creator of the universe, God. You can't think about it in human terms. It would be certainly be proud, self-serving for any of us to want to glorify ourselves because we are dust. We are created. We are temporal. But God is eternal, infinite. And so uh, for Him to seek His own glory, it's only sensible. It's only sensible. We see these angelic beings and they, and they, they worship the triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy. The Father is holy. The Son is holy. The Spirit is holy. I already mentioned in my prayer earlier what holy means, but there's really two aspects to the idea of holiness. Did anybody catch it? I know you were probably praying yourself. So no, I won't fault you if you didn't. You could, you could guess if you wanted to. And I'll help you be right. God's holiness first means that he is without sin. Um, of course, the idea of righteousness kind of veers into that territory. But what sets the word holiness apart from righteousness is that holiness means that God is transcendent. He is higher. He is above. He is not like the created things. He's not like the things that we see and touch and feel. He is above. He is even above spiritual things. Above all the spiritual powers, the angels, the demons, Lucifer, God is transcendent, far above, separate, unique. So we praise God for His holiness. God's holiness drives us to the cross. The more we think about how perfect God is, the more we realize that we are not good enough to commune with Him. Not only does God's holiness drive us to the cross, it amplifies the significance of Christ stepping down to take on the form of a servant. And not only that, but to lower Himself below the form of a servant and be hung on a cross as a criminal. To be treated as guilty, the one who is innocent. God's holiness highlights this. We see God's holiness, and as we continue to meditate and, and we're, we're driving towards this picture of the Lord's table, let's consider also God's promise. Same book, Isaiah, in chapter 53, chapter we often connect with, Christ's cross. It has been told to me, though I've never heard this from a person from this community, that certain Jewish communities do not allow this chapter to be read because it is too clearly about Jesus. 
even though it was written hundreds of years before his coming. Isaiah 53 says, Who hath believed our report? Into whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteem him not. Surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering of sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is a powerful prophetic passage telling us who Christ would be and what he would do. Those are quite a few verses, quite a long passage we read. What resonated with you as you think of the promise of the coming Christ? Some of your Awana or Kids for Truth memory verses probably come right out of this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. He satisfied all righteousness. Christ talked about He came to fulfill all righteousness. He also satisfied the Father's wrath. As, God's, as the Father's wrath is poured out on Christ. So the Father sees the suffering and it's a suffering on our behalf. It's a difficult thing to think about. The fact that someone had to suffer for me. In fact, there is a new stream of theology that tries to erase this principle for, because it's hard. And these times where we reflect on Christ's death is somber, and some people don't like to be somber. But the sobriety of this occasion leads us to glorify God and to live lives that are focused on living in gratitude for all that he has done for us. Anything else? Yes. You want to go back to the other one? The holiness of God? Sure. 
Yes. Yes. You see people in Scripture who get a glimpse of the glory of God. Uh, I think of Moses in the, in the cleft of the rock seeing just basically the train of God's garment, as it were. There's kind of a, it's trying to describe to us what it's like to just see a little bit of God's glory and uh, the awe that comes over him. Absolutely. And uh, to, to behold God's glory in its fullness, um, it must be amazing. These angelic beings are still amazed, at least thousands of years later, depending on where you want to put the creation of the angels in uh, the timeline of history, or if you want to put it in the timeline of history. Um, but it's, that is an amazing thought. So we see this promise of Messiah. I don't, I, I, we were going to sing a few songs along the way. We're not going to. We're just going to keep driving through these, uh, this meditation on Scripture. And then we see, as Messiah comes, he institutes for us uh, this ordinance. Let's see Christ do that. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 20. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 26. I have a typo on my paper. That's never happened before. I'm just kidding. I said that's not right. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 20. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth, as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of God is betrayed. It had been good for him, good for that man, if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung in hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. What do you think? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, you could point to Judas and say, it's his fault Jesus was on the cross. No, it's my fault. It's my sin that put Christ on the cross. Another thought. Yes, Leah. Yeah. Um, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's good. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you see them. Master, is it I? Master, is it I? Good point. Yes. It's good. 
Joni just brought that up to me right before the service. And uh, that was, I've probably heard that before, but that was new to me. I hadn't thought about that at least in a very long time. Made me want to hit the books. But I have to wait until later. But that's uh, the likening of Christ offering the cup and then saying, I'll return, is associated with a Jewish Galilean marriage ceremony. Um, when, we, when we get to this point in Mark, maybe we'll talk about that again. What made, uh, what about the time of year of the Lord's table made it uh, ceremonious to begin with? What was going on? It's the Passover. Uh, they are celebrating a traditional Passover cedar meal as, uh, as Jews, as God's people. And uh, they would recognize and remember God's deliverance of them from their bondage. And God's deliverance of them from the judgment that God poured out over Egypt if they would take the, the blood of the lamb and put it on their doorposts. And the deliverance that God gave from judgment to his people as a judgment was passed on those who did not believe. And this picture was meant to be kept as a sign of what Christ would do. That by the shedding of the perfect lamb's blood, we could be delivered from God's wrath. And you'll notice in the last verse that we read, verse 30, the last thing they did was they sung a hymn. What hymn do you think they sang? I was really hoping somebody would say, blessed be the tie that binds. <laughs> we actually know what hymn they sang uh, because we know a little bit about Jewish tradition. Uh, they would sing a portion of the Psalms, uh, part at the beginning and part at the end of every Passover meal. It was traditional. And I'd like to take a moment and look at the hymn they sang in the Psalms at the end of the Lord's table. Okay, so Passover meal, Jesus adds this um, uh, this ordinance at the end of the meal teaches them of the Lord's table. And then they sing this hymn. Turn to Psalm 118. They would have sang Psalm 116 through 118. I, I don't want to take quite that much time. But there's something I want us to see in Psalm 118 uh, that I think is significant. Psalm 118 says, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, because His mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that His mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that His mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that His mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in my distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side I will not fear what can man do unto me. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compass me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I, might that I might fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength 
and song and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacle of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of of the Lord. God is the Lord, which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise Thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let me ask a more specific question about this passage. What themes do you see repeated? There are some words that you see repeated throughout the passage. Mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is God withholding the judgment that we deserve. Mercy was the goal of the cross. That God could be just to justify the ungodly in Christ. What other words do you see repeated? Trust. We talked about the true meaning of faith. What does it truly mean to believe? Well, faith in its essence is trusting in God. To lean on Him. To rest in Him. Not just to assent and to say something, but to live like you believe it. What other words do you see that are themes here? Zeke. Do it valiantly. Something good to say about God that he does valiantly. That's good. That's, that's a really good word. I need to use that word more often, I think. Doeth, yes. How often did you see the word salvation in this passage? Several times. Several times. All of this even as David is writing, and I understand there's, there's a portion of this psalm that's pretty specific to David and his desire to, for God to triumph over his enemies, Israel's enemies. But we see here, uh, time and time again throughout this passage, mercy, salvation, trust. All themes that lead us to the cross. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 27. And this will be the last passage that we read. We won't comment on it. It'll be the last passage that we read before we observe the Lord's table. We'll read a good portion here. Matthew's description of Christ on the cross. When the morning was come, 
all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for, uh, to put them in the treasury because it, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by, King James word here, Jeremy the prophet, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest, now, hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I shall release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ? They all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took off the robe from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled him to bear his cross. And then when they were coming to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots. 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the prophet, they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head this accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land of the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. They asked the men to make ready, come and join me. Taking time to meditate upon Christ, how the holiness of God leads us to the cross. And in this, uh, following this time of meditation, what an appropriate time to observe the Lord's table, a time of remembrance of what Jesus has done for us.